Welcome back to Relatively Damaged by Damaged Parents. Today we have Kit O'Malley with us. She is the author of Balancing Act, Writing Through a Bipolar Life. She is a mental health advocate, public speaker, and former psychotherapist who lives with bipolar disorder. Her personal experience and clinical background inform her advocacy and enable her to help herself and guide others toward mental health recovery. You can find her at kitomalley.com. That's K-I-T-T-O-Malley.com. And if you look for her on social media, just look up Kit O'Malley. You'll find her. Hey, everyone. Angela Talent here, host of the Relatively Damaged podcast. I'm the author of Poems from a Lost Soul by Angela Talent. As you may know, Cicero once said, a room without books is like a body without a soul. Well, I say a soul without poetry hasn't lived. Buy my book on Amazon, Poems from a Lost Soul by Angela Talent. Do you feel like a meditation failure? I know I did until I tried the iOS Breath and Heart app put together by the good people over at the Institute for Applied Meditation. I kept hearing about the benefits of meditation and was frustrated because I just couldn't sit there noticing my breath for any length of time. Thank goodness there's more than one type of meditation. I'm so glad this worked for me. Will it work for you? I don't know. Download the app and try it out. Breath and Heart from I Am Heart. Welcome to the show, Kit. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I am just amazed at the little bit I know about your story. I mean, you were a parent and you thought you were struggling with depression. Tell tell let's tell the listeners a little bit catch them up. <laughs> yeah, that's actually that was the most difficult. I mean, I had had mental health crises before, but when I was when my son was 27 months old, I started to I had been diagnosed with depression since I was 18. So, and so from 18 to 39, even though I had had a manic episode at 30, that manic episode was considered triggered by medication mm-hmm. and, and I wasn't diagnosed bipolar. I still had the diagnosis of depression with one episode that they considered what they call iotrogenic, which is caused by medication, basically caused by the treatment. So I was stabilized and living on antidepressants. And then when I was 39, I had these experiences of feeling euphoria and that God was calling me to one church for spiritual direction and to another church for Bible study. Now, going to those churches and doing those things was fine. Those behaviors were fine and, and were good. So the content wasn't a problem, but the euphoric feeling, I acknowledged at that point in time as being hypomanic. So that's so, just under manic, right? So correct. You're almost there, but you're not quite. Right. Mild mania. Okay. <laughs> so I didn't have like the rushing thoughts. I didn't have the sleeplessness. I didn't have, you know, I wasn't behaving in ways that were destructive. My behavior was with, with, was you know, within the normal realm of behavior to go to Bible study or to go to be a spiritual direction, go to church. There were healthy things I was doing, but I, I still knew that that feeling, that euphoria was symptomatic for me. I, you know, I think that it's possible to have euphoria that's not symptomatic, that is 
within normal realm. But because given my background and given that I was a mother, I wanted to make sure that I didn't just leave, that I didn't, that I treated symptoms that I had. So mm-hmm. I called the advice nurse on my insurance and I asked my husband to get on the line so he could hear the conversation and know how serious this was. And I explained to her my symptoms and she said, go to the emergency room or to a psychiatrist today. So I wasn't able to get into a psych- see a psychiatrist because it was like Friday afternoon. So I uh, made an appointment for the next Monday, went in to see my regular doctor. She gave me, you know, something to, to help me over the weekend. She gave me a mood stabilizer to help me over the weekend. And she said, this is not something I treat. You have to see a psychiatrist on Monday. And I said, I I have an appointment. Don't worry. I just wasn't able to get one today. But what's interesting and what happened at this time in my life is I thought here, I was the same person, you know, my diagnosis changed and my treatment changed, but I was the same person with a diagnosis of depression as I was with a diagnosis of bipolar. But I thought, my son would be better off. I thought that my son would be in, in danger in my care. Because now you had just this diagnosis. Just like, with the diagnosis. The difference is the diagnosis changed. That the was it. The only difference was the diagnosis changed. All of a sudden, my mindset, I had this internalized stigma. And I was a former psychotherapist, so I knew what bipolar was. You know, I had worked with kids with bipolar. So I thought, oh, now I have a a severe progressive mental illness and I'm possibly dangerous, you know, if my behavior could be dangerous to my child. And so I put him in daycare and I went to work back to work. I was a stay at home mom at that time. Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to, but that was, so that was like the, the worst feeling to think that you, for me to think that I was not capable of being a good mom just because a label had changed. Yeah, that just is so amazing to me because I've I've also been watching this story with a person with a disability who's pregnant and she's getting all kinds of hate. And then you were diagnosed, you could be a mom. In fact, you've you've got you were successful at parenting him. He's now much older in his 20s, I think, right? Yes, he's 22 year old college yeah. student. And he actually, I I wasn't able to maintain working and being a mom and being a wife and all that kind of stuff. I ended up hospitalized voluntarily. And after that was, has, had been home with him during his whole life. He actually was a high needs kid. He had severe migraines that were gastrointestinal migraines, meaning he would throw up. So at first we thought he was just getting sick all the time. Um, And he had depression and anxiety. So he actually needed somebody with some serious skill set to parent him. And now as a 22-year-old independent college student, he regularly thanks me for how I raised him. So I'm like, wow. What would you say is the most important thing that you were able to do as a parent? Like, I mean, not like physically do, but like, well, maybe physically. What was the most important thing for you? Honestly, the most important thing, because I was parented by an emotionally, at times, emotionally abusive mother who never, ever acknowledged or had insight really into how her behavior was harming, harmful, and never apologized ever for anything. 
So for me, the most important thing was to apologize when I made a mistake, because if you want your kid to be somebody who has empathy and takes responsibility for their behavior, you have to take responsibility for your behavior. So I had to acknowledge my imperfection as a parent. Yeah. And I would say love him. Oh, yes. I mean, of course. I think that goes, I think that goes like we don't think of that, right? I mean, we just think that's a given. We love yes. our children, period. Right. But I agree with you on the apology. And and a lot of times I think as a parent, I know when I was first a parent, I don't know if you were this way too. It's like, nope, it's my way or the highway, and da 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 da. And I don't make mistakes. That's how I grew up, et cetera. You're nodding your head like, yes. <laughs> so at what point did you realize how important the apology was? I think that it was, my, it was trial and error and how we parented him and getting a lot of help in terms of adjusting my expectations in terms of how to parent him because his needs were so unique. So I realized, and there were just certain instances in which I clearly made a mistake and in which I, I just remembered from my childhood, having never been apologized, you know, never having somebody admit they were wrong, that I had to say, oh, I'm so sorry that I just did that, that I just said that, that I just did that, you know, like, you know, when you lose temper with your kid and you'd say something or do something that's not right that you know is not right luckily I had the insight to know oh that was not okay <laughs> yeah well Just did like, he ever get comfortable enough in saying hey mom that was not cool yes we actually got to the point because first we I was I've always been a, a sort of a I had him he was always actively a part of his own treatment you know he was in therapy starting at four and so he, and he was just, a, he was a very uh, spirited child in a good way. And the one thing that I will say, i thankful to my parents, because my parents were loving in it, you know, is that I was always encouraged to speak my mind, you know, and, and we would have sort of debates and stuff at the dinner table and things like that. So intellectually, I was taught that way. And so I, taught my son the same way, like to be, have critical thinking and to speak and to share what you're thinking and feeling and, and your opinion. So I think we always tried to listen. And I think that the best way to parent is to, is to listen, not only listen with your ears, but listen with your heart, because your child may need something that is different than what another child may need. Even siblings could have different needs based upon their temperament. How did you do that? How did you learn to listen with your heart? Because that seems like a, I know for me, it was hard to, can, can you even articulate how to do that? Because I don't know that I could have, I know many years ago, I couldn't have and Now I'm still trying to figure out what is that? you know, how do I, think, I get well, there? Yeah. I, I think it's to, rather than take like a boilerplate idea, like, well, if my kid does this, then the, the consequence is this, you have to pay attention to. And I think what I'm going to back up a little bit. When I was a therapist, one of the things I did was I worked in residential treatment for severely emotionally disturbed adolescent girls. 
and the treatment model was a like a um, now I'm forgetting the, the term for it. But anyway, rather than use the technical term because it's escaping my brain right now, basically we would tailor disciplines to the individual kid because what would work with one kid wouldn't work with another. And we would have what's called a disciplinary committee. You're adolescent, so an adolescent can be involved at a different level in their own treatment and discipline. And so at that time, we would tailor it like what would work for this kid. So what would work for one kid might be the total opposite of what would work for another kid. Um, and some kids you had to completely like regroup constantly because of their, you know, just because of who they were. So I already had that training, luckily, that each that I that you you have to pay attention to what is working rather than what you think is supposed to work. Because what so so that would be with the heart is sort of observing the effect on your mm -hmm. child of what you are doing. Is this working? Is this not working? Would it be fair to say, you know, to ask myself the question, is this what this child needs? Thank you. That is exactly the way to, that is exactly, exactly you're articulating it better than I'm able to. I'm not in the morning <laughs> person. <laughs> Oh, that's exactly I, it. No, that's exactly it. Thank you. Thank you for putting it in exactly the right terms. I'm just not a morning person. I need like five more coffees or something. Oh dear. I I think I saw a meme I need to find and send you. <laughs> no, I really, I, and sorry for the little swallow there where I took a oh, you're fine. little sip of, of, of coffee. No, that is exactly it to, you know, what does my child need to ask yourself? What does my child need? What does my child need now? Right. So in this instant, right, right. Now you're struggling with bipolar. You've got a very spirited child with ADHD. Um, all of this is going on. How do you even get to a point where you can ask that question of yourself? What, or of that, you know, when you're trying to understand what he needed how did you help yourself get there that was that's a good question it actually at when he was four let me see almost yeah when he was five when he was just before he went into kindergarten he my son had this you know adhd and he was just in child seeing a child psychologist and and it turned out his the psychologist I found for him was better than my psychologist, so I switched over to the psychologist who for me. I was like, oh, she's good. And so he uh, one day he was so out of it, he would get in these red zones, and he was so in this red zone that he was taking a he had a broom handle and he was like chasing me and hitting me with it, and I was just because of where he was, he was just he was very destructive. So I I barricaded myself in my master bedroom while he's hitting the door and you know stuff like that and I called the psychologist and I said can I can I return him <laughs> I was in tears I was like I can't do this anymore yeah. I just can't and she said no kid you can't return him I'm going to get you in to see a psychiatrist tomorrow so that you can get him on medication if, you know, because this is just not working, you know, the psychotherapy was not working. Yeah. And I think a lot of times parents in your situation, not only were you struggling with your own struggle, but you also have a son 
struggling as well. And it's really easy to ask that question, like to go there for it to cross your mind and think, oh, is that an option? And even check it, you know, I would think. And, and that's what I'm, I, I'm hopeful to normalize a little bit that sometimes those thoughts, they, they happen and we grab onto them and you're nodding like absolutely in your face, totally right. just relaxed. I mean, <laughs> tell, tell us what your thoughts are about things like that. Yeah, I think, in fact, in my writing, I expressed a lot of what would what it would be considered disturbing, you know, thoughts, intrusive thoughts, to sort of normalize it. Not, you know, I didn't behave on those thoughts. You know, I didn't return them. Instead, I called the psychologist and basically expressed the feeling and the thought and the just the desperation. But it's possible to have those thoughts and those feelings and not to act on them in a negative way. So to normalize it is to let people is to let parents know it's okay. Yeah. It's okay to feel like that. It's okay to have these thoughts and feelings that it's not so abnormal, especially when you're going through like this, the mental health issues that, you know, my mental illness, my son's ADHD and and in the past, I, you know, like postpartum, you know, you have the hormonal changes and the lack the sleep deprivation. I think more people than we realize have these very disturbing thoughts. Yeah, I think that there's this big fear that happens. And because there's this big fear that happens around the, oh my gosh, I had these thoughts if I tell anyone. And then sometimes in telling someone about the thoughts, they panic, even clinicians panic. And then, you know, next thing you know, it's, it's wondering if you're going to get whisked away and, and things like that, which is not generally the case. I mean, you worked in, in psychotherapy. I don't think everyone gets whisked yeah. away just right. for having a thought. Right. And that's something like, even I had a family member who, when I started blogging about this, expressed concern that my son would be taken away from me, you know, because I even wrote about slapping him, you know, when I lost my temper, which is not okay. And that's the sort of, that's exactly what I would apologize for. And if my son would say, you know, like one time my son turned his head as I slapped him. And so I ended up cuffing his ear and he said he had ringing in his ear. So we took him to the family practitioner or to our doctor. I said, tell him exactly what happened. It's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, cause kids know about child protective services at a certain age. They know about all that stuff. And, and they even threaten that my son did. <laughs> well, the oh, well-educated children. I yeah. Think the, well, he's right. like, I will, you know, the, he, he yeah. at one point he said when he wanted to see, anyway, when he wanted to see a particular specialist, he said, if you don't take me, I will call child protective services because that's medical neglect. And I would just roll, I just like, really? <laughs> you're gonna go he, anyway he's right though right he's like he's like i need this and he's like i'm gonna stand up for it no matter what i have he was to do just, he's just like, he was so but i encourage that kind of you know that kind of being able to do that you know being able to have that kind of repartee but when that time when we went to the doctor he told the story and also you know i said like what, what I had done, I said, yeah, I lost my temper. That's not okay. The doctor checked his ears. He's fine. And then he told the doctor what I said, tell the doctor what precipitated this, you know, like what was your behavior that I reacted to? Not, I, I said, my, my response was wrong. Absolutely wrong. 
but you know, and then he said he, he that he had called me an effing bitch, but the full thing, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and this is when I think he was like ten years old, and the doctor who was African American, he and his wife had a practice. They were both African American. They were former military, and in their community, you do not disrespect, disrespect your mother. Period. And so he said, well, if you had done that in our household to my wife, you would have gotten a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have to go back to him calling you out though on what he needed. Yes. And I think sometimes like being a parent that gives their children power is, is maybe it can be harder because it's, it's not my way or the highway. So would you say that by giving him power and you learning to apologize, what did that teach you? And and maybe what did it appear to teach him? Because he's not I here think, to answer. <laughs> right. I think that it taught me, well, a lot of things have taught me humility in a very good way, in a spiritual way. You know, that first of all, you don't have to be perfect. And nobody is perfect. And that you can be good enough and, you know, without being perfect. So I think that that's one thing it taught me. Another thing it taught me is that my son's experience is, well, first of all, you, you don't know, you can only observe somebody's behavior. You do not know what is going on really internally. And you can interpret their behavior in different ways. So to fully understand what's going on, you have to listen. You have to have a dialogue. I remember my husband used to say, like, why is he doing this? Why is he doing this? Why is he doing this when he'd be out of control in his behavior? And I'd say, there's really not, he's not, this is not purposeful behavior. He does not want to be like a Tasmanian devil right now and be doing all of these destructive things. It's not something that's purposeful. It's something that's out of control. He's out of control. And it's not a why. It's a like, let's just address let's help him, you know? And he got to the point where he was, he was very much in terms of his treatment, he was very much a partner in his treatment. So he would say, my son would say, I, if, if he felt out of control or something, or if, his medic, if he felt he needed help with his medications, he'd say, mom, I want to see Dr. So-and-so mm -hmm. soon, soon. So he had a lot of power and say so. Yes. And yes. I'm, I'm wondering if there were also times where he didn't want that and he would say that and you'd have to go on that part of the adventure too. Yes, there were times when he, I gave him the choice to, because I put him in therapy when he was four, by the time he was 10, he said, mom, can I stop doing therapy? I said, sure. You've been doing it since you're four. If you ever decide you want to do it again, that's fine. He still, he was particular. For him, he found medication more useful than therapy. And of course, when we went into the psychiatrist for medication, we still would be doing therapy too, because we would be talking as a family or as me and my son, you know, depending on what age he was and whether my husband had the time in his day to do it. So he still did get therapy in that the psychiatrist talked to us, but not the individual therapy you know, for, you know, 50 minutes type thing. So, and then when he was older, if there were times that he'd have a, he'd want to address, he'd ask me, I go into therapy for this issue 
or the psychiatrist might say, you, Matthew, you must go to therapy for, you know, for me to continue treating you for this period of time. You know what I mean? And, and then yeah. it would be a negotiation with the psychiatrist and me in terms of when and how long and regarding what. Right. So it really did become a partnership. Okay. So what would be the top three tools or tips as a parent? I mean, just as someone with bipolar or a parent with bipolar or just a parent with a child that is also struggling, you've got so many aspects to your story here (laughs) that you've got a broad range of three tools or tips. (laughs) Right. Well, first, if you, you must take care of yourself, this is a general statement and then I can bore down into it more detailed. So everybody must take care of themselves because you cannot take care of somebody else if you are not taking care of yourself. I mean, you can, but it was not sustainable, right? You'll just fall apart. So you must take care of yourself. So for somebody with a severe mental illness that involves taking my medication, going to therapy, getting support, you know, using coping skills, for everybody though, you must take care of yourself. You must take care of your physical, emotional, spiritual health. Second, listen, well, well, take care of who, who you are taking care of, you know, address, address their needs, listen to them and address their needs. So if you do, I have a pretty strong, I'm a, I personally have benefited from medication and my son's benefited from medication. Not everybody does. But if you have a kid who is struggling in school, you know, and struggling at home and their behavior is out of control, please consider it because you're not doing your kid a favor by not treating them. And early intervention helps. I'm not saying don't over-medicate them. Don't, you know what I mean? I'm saying do what they need, okay? So some, a lot of kids, all they need is therapy. You know, other kids, it's, you know, maybe occupational therapy rather than psychotherapy, you know, or, you know, so there's different, other kids need, do need uh, medication, which is what my kid needed. So, but, and listen to them. Like it's not just don't impose it upon them and involve them in that process. And I think the third thing is you are enough. Mm. Yeah. I know there's a, a quote I made. You are, and because you are, that is enough. Oh, I love that. I love that. It's, I, I think a lot of us forget that just for the simple reason that we exist, it's enough. And, and that's just a way to spread love, I think. Exactly. It's, I was just thinking, as you were saying it, I was thinking that totally ties into that we are all loved. We are all lovable. And we are all capable of loving. And so that's the enoughness right? You don't have to do those things perfectly. Like, I think we are all loved unconditionally. Like we might not understand it, but we are just like you're saying you're enough and just being and having it have it to do with love. We are all loved unconditionally. And that's where we are. And that's what, and that's what leads to us being enough. But even if we don't love perfectly, which we're not, 
capable of. We make mistakes. We're human. That's enough. It's still enough to be loving. And mm, so true. I'm so glad you got to come on the show and we got to have this conversation. I wish we had more time, but we don't. <laughs> I might have to have you back. <laughs> oh, I would love that. I would love that. I, I, just oh, you're, no. you're. I just. I love your. I love how you center yourself and you're so mindful and, and caring in your message. It's just beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I mean, I'm just grateful that you're, that there are more people out there than just me sharing the message and sharing that love and really trying to show people what it means instead of tell them do X, Y, and Z. But everyone, we've got to close out the show. So I want to make sure you know exactly where to find Kit. It's kittomalley.com, or you can go to Linktree where all of her links are. Uh, you can go to Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, Pinterest. Okay, you guys get it. She's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Angela. I had a great time. Hey everyone, Angela Talent here, host of the Relatively Damaged Podcast. I'm the author of Poems from a Lost Soul by Angela Talent. As you may know, Cicero once said, a room without books is like a body without a soul. Well, I say a soul without poetry hasn't lived. Buy my book on Amazon, Poems from a Lost Soul by Angela Talent. Do you feel like a meditation failure? I know I did until I tried the iOS Breath and Heart app put together by the good people over at the Institute for Applied Meditation. I kept hearing about the benefits of meditation and was frustrated because I just couldn't sit there noticing my breath for any length of time. Thank goodness there's more than one type of meditation. I'm so glad this worked for me. Will it work for you? I don't know. Download the app and try it out. Breath and Heart from I Am Heart. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Relatively Damaged by Damaged Parents. We've really enjoyed talking to Kit about how after being diagnosed as bipolar, she questioned herself as a parent. We especially liked when she spoke about loving herself and her child as they both struggled through their challenges. To unite with other damaged people, connect with us on Instagram, look for Damaged Parents. We'll be here next week, still relatively damaged. See you then.